Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ollie, and I'm a very, very grateful alcoholic. My home group is the Canberra Speakers Group. We meet on a Saturday night on in Canberra. Canberra, for those of you who are um, international, Canberra is the capital city of Australia. We meet Saturday nights at um, 7 o'clock, and uh, it's a great meeting. And if you're ever coming to Australia, or if you're in Australia and you're coming to Canberra, please let us know. You know, we're always looking for people to speak at the meeting. It's, uh, oh, we also meet on a Tuesday night. We have a, a steps meeting, which we, we run then as well. It's such an honour to have been asked to speak tonight. I'm, I've been getting quite, quite nervous <laughs> leading up to the, um, to tonight. Oh, well, just now. So, uh, I hope you'll bear with me. I always like to say that I'm in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. I love being an alcoholic and I love my life today. Some people might be horrified at hearing that, and uh, it's certainly true that I, I've not always been able to say that I like being an alcoholic. In fact, when I came to AA, I rather didn't like being an alcoholic and really, really wished that I wasn't one, even though when I first came to AA, I had pretty much accepted that I was an alcoholic at that time and that I'm still one, of course. I came to AA in Melbourne, Australia, in, in uh, 1992. It was the March 1992. I, uh, I went to a meeting and um, it was a very important experience because uh, I had been told by a psychiatrist that I was uh, an alcoholic and oddly enough I kind of accepted that because it explained why I drank so much. It was quite a different experience to go into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and listen to other people who were not professionals just talk about being alcoholics. And, you know, I think I really felt I belonged from the beginning. I somehow knew I was in the right place. I didn't get sober straight away, though. I mucked around with with uh, other drugs and I, I would drink occasionally for the first 18 months. So... You'll notice, okay, well, on, on my, my nickname, it says Ollie1893. Well, 1893 is my sobriety date. So I was mucking around for um, 18 months, unable to stay sober. But even there, you know, it's, it's funny how I just, I still knew I was in the right place. And I, I did keep coming back. People said, keep coming back. And I kept going back. And, you know, the strange thing is that coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, 
I didn't come into AA through a rehab. It was just, I, I just knew I was in the right place. And, you know, my rock bottom was a very hard one, even though not as, not as desperate as, as some that I've heard. But my rock bottom was really an emotional one. You know, I was the unhappiest soul on the planet, as far as I was concerned. You know, that saying in the big book, you know, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization was my state of mind. And even though I hadn't lost everything around me, my state of mind was just in hell. And I urgently and desperately wanted and needed that to change. I grew up I would, in a fairly well-to-do family. I'm, I'm, I believe, you know, it's not for me to say, but I believe my mother suffered from this disease. And I know that she had a terrible, terrible struggle. I don't know if the struggle was trying to stay sober. I think her struggle was just how to live life. My brother tells me that he took her to an AA meeting once, but she didn't stay. And I know that she was heavily medicated and I know that she had a very good doctor who, you know, really wanted to try and help her and, and did. But, um, you know, I know my mother had a lot of problems. And But that said, you know, my father was... was um, was a professional man and, and uh, I was given a very good schooling and, and, you know, had all the opportunities that one could want, you know. But uh, I went to a boarding school. By the time I, 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 I know I picked up my first drink when I was about 13 and I was staying with a friend. His, his, he came to boarding school too and it was the holiday period. So we went and stayed with his, at his place now, his parents owned a, a pub, a hotel, and, and um, so we were staying there and we were upstairs in the hotel and I can't remember how, how it happened. I, this, no, we're like 13 years old and I can't remember how it happened, but he, uh, he uh, managed to get hold of a couple of cans of beer and so we drank the beer and we just had one each and... Um, it's interesting that my immediate reaction after having that one beer was uh, I wanted another one. <laughs> Just, so that kind of tells me that I was an alcoholic from pretty much from day one. I just, even though we didn't have another one, we couldn't get another one, I wanted another one. And, and my experience, uh, you know, from then on pretty much was that I always wanted more and uh, that one was never enough. And and uh, it was very rare that I would only have one drink. And if I did only have one drink, it was only, again, similar situation where I'm in a position where I just can't, for whatever reason, get another one. But I always wanted more. Um, I I left boarding school. And boarding, because boarding school is such a... Uh, a um, a disciplined environment. I mean, I did drink when I was at boarding school. I used to go out on Saturday nights and... But I managed not to get caught somehow. Um, uh, but certainly when I left boarding school, I was 17 and, I, you know, my primary purpose in life was to, to just drink, you know. I even, I went to university, but but my, again, my primary purpose was to drink and that's what I did. And, and I got trashed and I have a, 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 a strong memory of... Um, being about 18 or 19 years old and sitting on the steps of the pub waiting for it to open one morning. And, and um, I remember when I had that, when I remembered that, 
because prior to that I thought, oh, I I didn't drink in the morning that often, but but um, you know there were plenty of times when I did and when I would just hang out for a drink. Um, blackouts were a, a a common occurrence in my life right from the beginning. Um, um, I would go out and all sorts of you know and drink and um, and I would find myself probably at home the next day and uh, you know and just be wondering what the hell happened the night before and you know in that terrible situation where you you want to know but you don't want to know you don't want to know what happened but you urgently do want to know what happened and I so I would ring somebody you know and say well you know what happened last night and that the awful thing about blackouts was that um, they you know people would say to me things like and I, I can't remember specifically what, but they would say, do you know you said that to so-and-so last night? And I would think, I've, I've never thought that in my life. Why would I say that to somebody? I couldn't have, but but apparently I did. And and it was the same with my behaviour. You know, my behaviour would be very bad and I and I just, or, you know, even violent and in a blackout. And I couldn't comprehend because I'm not a particularly violent person. I wasn't particularly violent uh, all the time when I drank, occasionally I was, but um, so it would surprise me that uh, what I've been told in blackout that I've done in blackouts. So I'm absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm, I belong here. I belong in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, I love being here. I'm glad I'm here. Um, I, um, oh, I meant to say, you know, we've just, um, we've just experienced Founders Day, which was on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure it's been happening in the States, probably in Britain as well. And, and um, um, certainly here in Australia, here in Canberra, we celebrated Founders Day on Monday. And uh, just yesterday I went to a, um, a, a city near Sydney called Wollongong, which, and they celebrated their Founders Day there yesterday. And I had the honour of, of getting to talk on the founders and AA history. Um, that was a, a a wonderful experience. So I'm I'm I feel sort of extra privileged that I get to talk in, you know, so close to Founders Day. I, um, as I say, I'm in I really am in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, just also to say, I, you know, I'm so impressed with this meeting and and the fellowship that you demonstrate in here. Um, as you know, I haven't been coming to these meetings for very long in online um you know i'm over 15 years sober but I, I i've only just discovered online meetings and i actually want to thank jethro for that he uh helped me to get online when i was actually quarantined at home with suspected swine flu which i don't didn't have and don't have um but um had been quarantined for some time hadn't been able to get to a meeting and jethro helped uh, set me up and find me this this meeting and and you know, I can't tell you how important that was and how valuable that was at the time. I, I was uh, really in need of a meeting, and, and um, this meeting was there here, and, and so I just want to thank you for being here, you know. Um, um, now, I haven't talked about Gordy. Gordy actually plays a very uh, significant part in, in, in my recovery, and... Uh, uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, um, 
I had been going to meetings in in for for about four years, and I had so I so I sobered up in 1993, and again was very grateful to be sober. And uh, I, I tell this story because I think it's very important. It's very important um, it, it, my experience here in helping me to understand what it means to be an alcoholic, and and you know how the disease of alcoholism works or has worked in my life. Um, so I was sober for, for four years and um, I went to, I was studying at university and I went to, I, I, I put my studies on hold because my father was very ill and I went to visit him and uh, he asked me to go and stay with him. He was very ill and he was in fact, he was dying and uh, I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to go and spend time with him and to look after him until his dying day and to actually be with him when he died. So I was sober, I was going to meetings, um, um, but I was having a few problems and uh, they weren't problems which people in meetings seemed to be able to help me with, um, or the meetings I was going to anyway. And uh, anyway, um, my father died and um, I went... Uh, I had some time and I had a little bit of money up, you know, in my pocket. And um, so I went for a drive up to uh, a place called Darwin, which is uh, in the north of Australia, right in the centre. It was a very long drive because I'd been in uh, South Australia with my father uh, in a town called Renmark. And um, uh, so if those of you can picture a map of Australia, I was effectively at the bottom in the middle and I drove straight up the, through the middle of Australia right to the very top. And uh, I guess that distance is probably similar to driving from the bottom of the United States to the top of the United States. It's probably a similar distance. Um, so I went there and I was absolutely obsessed. Now, it wasn't simply the grief that I was experiencing um, of my father's death. There was a lot more to it than that. And, and, you know, obsessed with things I won't go into here, but um, it was uh, very troubling. And the reason this experience is so important is that it very, very nearly led me back to a drink. I was so restless, irritable and discontent. I was so unhappy. And, and I was still doing meetings and I couldn't for the life of me work out what was what what was wrong and uh, you know I'd had all sorts of people suggest all sorts of solutions and you know including other fellowships and and all that kind of thing I'm, I'm not dismissing the the need or the use of other fellowships I just found it wasn't working on uh, for me and um, uh, I was committed and still am but was very committed to Alcoholics Anonymous and and uh, wasn't going to leave AA but uh, you know, was, found myself in Darwin in this desperate situation. Really, uh, I think I think I was probably about a day or two away from picking up a drink. And remember, I'm four years sober at this stage. Um, four years dry, really. And um, what I, I I went to a, what's called the Darwin Roundup. And um, the week before the Darwin Roundup, they have a camp. Uh, at um, at a river there, I think they call it the Bill Wilson weekend now. I'm not sure. Um, this is in 1997, and and um, and I met a man there 
who uh, Gordy knows well, and um, he's now living in Perth, and his name is Robin, and uh, he uh, he just wandered over. You know, we were all got tents pitched and things, and he wandered over to me, and, and he said, "Oh, you know, how are you going?" And and I think I just sort of broke down and blurted out how awful my life was and how you know how 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 terrible things were for me and and he just sort of looked at me and uh and this is my memory of it you know um uh he looked at me and he said you know he said you're you're suffering from untreated alcoholism and i i didn't understand for a moment i didn't understand what he meant i didn't know that 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 was possible considering that we were actually at an aa camp and uh you know i was doing lots of aa um but but i knew that something was wrong so he said you're suffering from untreated alcoholism and you know and you need to take the steps and i didn't understand that either because i thought i thought well you know i go to steps meetings isn't that enough kind of thing anyway i watched this guy for a while i was i was a bit resentful at what he'd said to me and um i watched him for a while and you know he really had something and he was saying things in meetings that kind of made sense and and um um anyway i asked him to sponsor me and and um i had actually asked a few people earlier to sponsor me uh you know in earlier times and um um but it hadn't really worked out so he asked him to sponsor me and and he began he said yes he would and um and he began to uh, you know sit down with me and read through the big book and and uh you know that book came alive in ways that that I just um I'm astonished at I uh I remember when when Jethro was the speaker a um, couple of weeks ago he uh you know he he described the steps and and the process of going through the steps and and this too was my experience um so robin robin took me through the uh, and robin had been very influenced by um joe and charlie and uh, um and i hadn't heard them at this stage but um robin took me through the 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 big book and and he said to me okay we're going to work on step 1 and we're going to learn about what's actually wrong with you you know step 1 says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable and uh he in taking me through the doctor's opinion and bill's story and um uh, um well the doctor's opinion in particular described to me the idea of the physical allergy and um i I'd, i'd never really understood you know people had said that alcoholism is a physical and uh a, a mental a twofold or threefold disease physical mental and spiritual and um i had never really understood what that meant and uh so he described the physical part of the disease about the physical allergy the allergy to alcohol and suddenly i i you know i understood why we drink so much and why we can't stop i mean that all of a sudden made sense and then we went through um uh bill's story and we we 
and I, I could at last identify with Bill. I had read the big book before a couple of times, and and um, but somehow going through it with him, it came alive in ways that I'd never seen. So we went through Bill's story, and I could identify with Bill. I could, you know, this this stock speculator from the 1930s, with whom I had, I thought I had really nothing in common, but but I began to identify with his thinking, with the thinking that he describes in his story. And then Robin took me through the the uh, there is a solution, and uh, emphasised that there is a solution. And what was you know, I was in a state where I absolutely needed a solution. And what was important about this experience too was that I wasn't drinking. You know, I, I didn't have a drinking problem. Um, but I was absolutely insane. I think somewhere in our literature it describes, uh, Bill Wilson talks about um, being stark raving sober. And that's the way I was. And I just want to emphasise again, I have no doubt that I was within a day or two of picking up a drink. And that's why why this experience is so important. Um, I didn't have to pick up a drink because I was at a point where, uh, you know, call it when the pupil is ready, the teacher appears. And for me, I was ready. I was right. The teacher appeared. And so he took me to, through There Is A Solution um, more about alcoholism and we agnostics. And he called this, you know, just for argument's sake, step two. Um, and, you know, it was describing what the solution is and, and that the solution was a vital spiritual experience. Um, and, uh, you know, to have a conscious relationship with a higher power. I didn't have a problem with God. I didn't have a problem with a higher power. I had been in AA for four years, and that was long enough to convince me that that you know I needed a higher power in my life. I was happy to pray to that higher power, um, but because I hadn't done anything about the steps, I was still very resentful. The front of my head, you know, the mind was just very conscious of me having done a lot of harm and yet having no real way to make amends. Now, I, you know, I'd seen the ninth step there, but um, I didn't know really how to go and apologise to the people that I'd harmed. And I was living with that guilt. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I'd discovered by that time that saying sorry was was not sufficient. I was still guilty and I was still, you know, really doing the same things. Um, anyway, so I had all these resentments and fears and harms that I was just so very conscious of and, and didn't know what to do with. And I really didn't understand until I did it that, you know, the steps clean this stuff up. And up to this point, I'd heard things like, you know, take the steps off the wall and put them into your life. But I hadn't actually been shown how to do that. Um, I thought it was just kind of an osmosis thing. They, they would just get into me and I'd be fine. But it wasn't working like that, even though I was doing many, many meetings and being very active in AA. So we, we got to Chapter 5, which was read out tonight, and, um, and uh, it, got to a, it gets to a point where, where uh, you know, Leslie read it out. You know, we were now at Step 3. And... 
we got down down on our knees and together and there was another chap with us called Bull, who I know Gordy will know, and um, we were in an, in a, a sort of demountable hut right in the middle of Australia. We were dry at this point. We were driving back from Darwin back down to South Australia, and this is all happening on a road trip. You know? <laughs> so um, um, we uh, we got on our knees and we said the third step prayer together. Now I have to tell you that I was not. I was concerned. I was a bit worried about about taking this third step. I was very nervous about it. I um, I wasn't sure, but but the desperation in me, the desperation to change, the desperation not to drink was so strong. I just did it anyway, and and so we got down on our knees and we said the third step prayer, and and then you know the big book says next. And that's a time reference. You know, it says next. We, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. And um, my sponsor got me writing a, a fourth step, resent, uh, I mean, a, a resentment list straight away. And uh, so I, I have a vivid memory of sitting in my car with this other woman who was travelling with us. She was driving my car. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. And I've got this pad on my knees and I'm just writing name after name after name after name after name after name of all these people that I resent and am angry with. Or, and um, I think uh, it took me about two days and um, I think I came up with about 70 names and uh, I still hadn't finished it. I think in the end I ended up with about 90 names of, um, of people I resented. And... Uh, I'm just so grateful that I was given such clear directions on how to do this. That on, um, and then you know he would say, "Okay, have you finished that column? You can go on to the next one." You know the columns as they're described in in uh, chapter five in the big book. And um, so you know I would go on to the next column. But he made me uh, let him know when I'd finished each column, so that he you know could describe to me how to move on to the next column. And uh, very grateful for that. So. We went. I, I to cut a long story short, we we um, I finished the writing that fourth step, and by the time I'd finished that, I'd written down my resentments, I'd written down my fears, and I'd written down my harms, including sexual harm, and uh, uh, and you know, it wasn't that difficult to do with the guidance that I had, and up to that point. I think the, I had attempted a fourth step in the past, and what I'd done was just written an autobiography. I'd written all the dirty, rotten, stinking things that I'd done and everything I felt guilty about, and I'd read it to somebody. Now, I've heard that, you know, for many people that was that works and that was sufficient, and, and you know, I, that's that's fantastic. I know that that didn't work for me, and, and um, I... Um, I needed a much more uh, formal, if you like, or coordinated approach to the fourth step. I mean, it, it was it was just as it was as it's suggested in the big book, and um, so we went through the fifth step, and that took some time because he was working, and so we would just grab what time he had, and he took me through the fifth step. Now, it, it was during that fifth step that uh, my eyes really began to open. Not during the fourth, 
I was just writing names and things next to the names and then how things affected me and, and I was doing them down the column so I wasn't really, I was beginning to see a picture, there's no doubt about it. But during the fifth step my eyes really began to open and for those of you who uh, are approaching a fifth step, um, I know I had to pray my way through the fifth step. It, was, it, was, it wasn't easy. It was very simple but it wasn't easy and uh and um i uh but as we went through it you know a pick a, a pattern began to emerge that um i i pretty much wanted to control just about everyone in my life and um and i began to see a lot of defects of character that uh and what they ended up being was pretty much what i was accusing other people of doing and um or, or, you know, what other people had done to me, uh, I found that I had done those things too. And um, so my eyes really began to open and I began to see the world in a very, very different way, in a very different light. And I can't tell you the relief that I felt. Now, it wasn't, once I finished the fifth step, it wasn't so much... Um, uh, like a, a huge burden had been lifted. It was more that I just felt empty because my life had been so centred around my resentments and my fears and my harms that these were the things that occupied my mind most of the time and, and my studies. So when when all of those things were effectively removed in a fifth step, I'm like, I'm just empty. And I don't know what to think <laughs> because all my thinking before has been sort of self-centred, resentment-centred, harm-centred. They did this to me, you know, or I did this to them. And um, now that those things had effectively been removed, I, I was a bit of an empty shell, but but it, it was a great relief. And uh, my sponsor then um, sat down with me and we did... Um, we went through my defects of character and, and uh, knelt again and asked for those to be removed. Um, with the step, with step seven very much being about, you know, practicing the opposite of my defect, so that in very simple terms, you know, if I don't want to do something, it's probably good for me to do it. If I do want to do something, it's probably good for me not to do it. And an example is, if I don't want to go to a meeting it's usually good for me to go to a meeting. If I don't want to make my bed, it's um, it's good for me to make my bed. You know, if I want to launch out on a great romantic relationship, well, it's probably not a good idea in that context. Although, you know, I with that kind of stuff, I don't know, I, I work closely with my sponsor. Um, so we went through, we asked those defects to be removed, and then in step eight, We'd actually begun constructing a list of harms when in my fifth step, and um, that um, my, each time it was obvious that I'd done a harm, or it was obvious to my sponsor that I'd done a harm, he would get me to put an A next to each name, so that we were actually constructing the harms list as we went through the fifth step. And I know, you know, we note in the big book that it says when we in in the step eight part, it says, you know, we have a list of people we've harmed, we made it when we took inventory and, and that was my experience. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that my sponsor just stuck to the big book because when we got to that part, he says, well, we've got that list, haven't we? 
I said, yes, we have. And so what we did was pulled out all the names that had an A next to them and um, put those into a list. And then we talked about the harm that was done and we talked about the amends that needs to be made. Again, very grateful that uh, I was given such clear direction on how to approach amends. My sponsor also gave me a little template so that I could write out my amends and if need be, I could read it to the person that I was making amends to. I think it was better for me to read it at the risk of seeming um, in a bit ingenuous, but it was better for me to read it than make a hash of it. So, uh, and I didn't read them all, but, but I certainly did some of them where I was a bit worried or a bit scared or worried that I wasn't going to say the right thing. And, and the template kind of went like this. It says, I'm, you know, I'm an alcoholic in recovery or... If, if that wasn't appropriate, I would, I, you know, I wouldn't say that. I'd just say, I'm an alcoholic in recovery and as part of my recovery program, it's essential that I make amends to those people I've harmed. And I believe I've harmed you in the following way. And I'd say, you know, I, I drank all your alcohol or I, I broke all your wine glasses, your fine wine glasses and, or, you know, um, I stole money from you and, and, um, so I would say, uh, I believe I've harmed you in the following way. I would say what I did. And then I would say, um, um, uh, um, before asking your forgiveness, I need to ask you how my actions have affected you. And it was very important for me to hear from them how I had harmed them. And may seem like a bit of a beat up but it was actually a very valuable experience for me to really know at depth how how I had harmed people some people were you know when I did this some people were very frank they said oh well yes you did harm me and it really did hurt um, what you did or or others would say oh look you know we weren't even aware of it or or um, or no, you know, it's fine, don't worry about it. I got all sorts of different responses. And, uh, I, I, you know, Bill Wilson describes somebody kicking them, kicking, you, you know, you might get kicked out of somebody's office. Well, that hasn't happened. I did have one person just tell me, as I said honestly, how how um, I had hurt, hurt him. But um, otherwise, I, you know, my amends were only ever constructive. And people were astonished, actually, because it doesn't happen that often. And um, a lot of people are just astonished when we make amends to them. And, uh, you know, what, what I love about the amends that we make is that we can make it as, you know, because it's where it is in the steps, you know, around step, at step nine, we've done all this work before leading up to it. And that work ensures, I believe, it ensures that we don't have to repeat that behaviour again. And that finally I can make an amends which is sincere and which uh, I guess the other thing is that I, you know, I don't say I'm sorry anymore. Sorry, sorry lost any kind of value a long time ago because I would bleat sorry a lot. And uh, I would actually say uh, that I was wrong. And so to finish my little template, I would say, you know, I... Um, before asking your forgiveness, I need to ask you how my actions have affected you. And uh, then they would speak. And then I would say, I ask for your forgiveness. 
um, and I pray that my actions will never be repeated. And, you know, that was fairly quick, fairly short and um, to the point. So then um, when I left my sponsor, I actually lived at his house for about three months as we went through this process. Might not have been that long. It's, it's This is 97. It's a bit hazy, but... It, uh, and that was an extraordinary thing, and I know it's not recommended that 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 uh, you know in the big book that it, that that people allow us to stay at their places for long, but this really worked. And uh, you know, I was talking to Robin the other day about this and just how extraordinary it was that it really did work. And I think, you know, I'm not necessarily recommending it, but it was just it was the circumstance we were in, and I had the time, and 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 Robin just thought it was best that I stay here, stay with him. Um, so then he, we, we went through steps 10, 11 and 12 in the big book. We read through those very carefully and, uh, and then he took me through a vision for you. And, um, uh, and I'm, you know, again, I, I just can't emphasize how grateful I am for that process. Now, I think what was so important about that experience was that it made it very clear to me how to take other people through the steps. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that, that um, you know, I, I know the best way to take people through the steps or that this is the only way to take people through the steps. I'm looking to learn new and more effective ways to take people through the steps. But I just know that now that from that point, my sponsor got me to sponsor people. And, you know, I've sponsored a lot of people in that time and the truth is, the fact is that many of them are not sober today. Some of them are not even alive today. Some have died of, you know, with needles up their arms or, or just, you know, died uh, tragic alcoholic deaths. And um, I guess the point is that, that um, you know, I don't save people's lives. I'm, I'm not in that business. I, I just take people through the steps and... and uh, um, and they either get it or they don't, I guess. And, uh, you know, that's part of the, the tragedy of alcoholism. Uh, but the important thing is also, um, I guess, just to come back to the founders, to remember that, that Bill Wilson didn't sober anyone up for his first six months. And, um, and uh, his wife, Lois, I think he was complaining to Lois that he had been sober six months and no one had gotten sober. And... She apparently she just looked at him and said, "But Bill, you are sober," and it proves again, and this is my experience now, that by working with other alcoholics, we get to stay sober ourselves. And um, I will often say this to people I sponsor: you know, you may not stay sober from this, but by me working with you, I get to stay sober. So I sincerely hope that, you know, the people that I take through the steps get through them and start working with others. And, and I've had the good fortune to see that happen. And I can't tell you how exciting that is just to see people become free by, um, by going through the steps, you know, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I, um, I'm, I'm also very active in AA service and I've had the privilege of, serving as a, an area delegate here in Australia and um, that, that's that been an extraordinary experience. I, I have a different sponsor today and my, my current sponsor lives in um, San Jose in California and 
and uh, he's very, very active in AA service and I've had the benefit of his experience to help me with um, AA service here. Um, you know, it's it's for all these reasons that I say that I love alcohol, I'm in love with Alcoholics Anonymous and that I love being an alcoholic today. I, I truly do live a life beyond my wildest dreams. It isn't perfect, it's far from perfect and there are all sorts of things going on in my life at the moment. They're good things, but they're not necessarily what I want. I mean, but I, I realise that today I'm God's, you know, I'm here to do God's will. And that isn't necessarily always what I want to do. Um, but I, you know, I just want to emphasise the importance of the 12 traditions. And I'm so glad that this meeting reads the 12 traditions. They too are, you know, another set of principles beside the steps by which we can live, you know, on a from which we can learn on a personal basis, and um, but also which guide us in our meetings. And um, and the often not mentioned are, you know, the twelve concepts for world service, and they too are an extraordinary set of principles. Uh, they're really, you know, they can be pretty difficult to get your head around, and and um, for those who are new, if, if you're having trouble sleeping, um, um, have a look at the 12 concepts. <laughs> I'll put you to sleep. But uh, once you get involved in service and, uh, you know, in, in area service and things, the 12 concepts, like like I was talking about the big book, they tend to just come alive and they, they have there's such wisdom built into them. Our, our founders were so wise to develop those those uh, principles, uh, the steps, the traditions and the 12 concepts. And um, it means we can actually meet in, in loving and harmonious ways. And uh, having visited the United States a few times now, I was over there in, um, in April and I, you know, over there I see, I see wonderful examples of people living the steps, traditions and concepts. I see it here too, of course. Um, um, and um, I think uh, I just want to thank Janice for, for chairing this meeting and um, also just thank Gordy. I, I didn't talk much about Gordy, but, but Gordy was kind of there around that time that, that we were, uh, I was in, in Darwin and we were camping and, and, um, and uh, you know, he was the old-timer that was there in the background and we need our old-timers. And I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for that relationship. And it's actually uh, uh, very great. It's, I'm actually really pleased that I've been able to find this this online meeting and that Gordy's, you know, here. He, I remember him talking about it back then. This is '97, and um, uh, and uh, it would have been a fairly new, very new concept. I think the internet was only really up and going around '94. 495, something like that. So, online AA was was um, was quite a new concept, and I'm a bit sad that it's only just now that I've actually been able to find it. So, I'm very grateful. Um, I just want to finish by saying uh, I want to welcome those who are new and uh, or who've recently returned. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, enjoy the ride. It is. For me, it has been the most amazing experience and continues to be the most amazing experience. I really have had, the, I mean, the grace of God, I've gotten involved. 
I try to stay in the centre of AA. I try not to boundary ride. Uh, well, I don't. I don't boundary ride. I, I stay in the centre of AA. I do a lot of face-to-face -face meetings. They're very, very important to me. And um, and it is, a, you know, a real honour and privilege to sponsor people and to, you know, I'm, I'm always thrilled when some people, you know, when people ask me to sponsor them because it just means I get another opportunity to help someone. And um, I'm very grateful for that. So um, I'll leave it there and, uh, and just want to thank you again. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.